if you looked at the data or the statistics behind who's involved in agricultural industries now, and we're seeing more and more women involved in the industry, at those higher end level roles, leadership type roles, there's still quite a significant gap between women at the table versus men at the table. Welcome to Boots Off, Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business, a show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. Well, welcome to the podcast, Simone, and um, yeah, welcome to Boots Off and Log On. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be asked to come on to this podcast and have an episode on myself and all the things, like crazy things I do up here in the Territory. I oh, know it's all about you today. <laughs> so you're a farmer and also a regional director at NT Farmers. So you're a pretty busy person. So tell me all about your farm. Now, if you're from um, down south, that sounds like a huge farm, but I think what you want to tell us is about the, your, your farm um, outside of Catherine here. Yeah, so um, my family and I live on 1,200 acres just the, on the north side of Catherine um, on two river corridors, the Edith and the Ferguson River. So we're really fortunate to have, I guess you could say, water views out the front of our property um, and really capture in that beautiful um, outback experience, which is the Northern Territory. Currently, it's a property that is just running a small head of um, Brahmins and we it's basically like a breeding block for us. I have lots of big dreams and aspirations for the property, whether it be through agritourism because of its position along river corridors and also just its capacity to be able to produce a vast variety of agricultural production. Yeah, it sounds almost idealistic. I can I can almost picture it. It sounds like a, I, I think I read um, a while ago when I read, read um, Kings and Grass Castles and the Jurax crossing all those rivers going from Queensland across to um, the Kimberley and about all these rivers. And although theirs is a bit tougher, yours sounds very idealistic seeing the crossing of two, two beautiful rivers up there. Yes, it is a special place and we're very fortunate at certain times of the year um, where we are the only ones really that can access parts of that river. So it's really, really special for us. You know, it's, we are very lucky to have it. Yeah. So I like it. I think what you're saying when we're offline, it's a, is 1200 acres sounds like a lot to some people, but um, in the Northern Territory context, it's um, probably a paddock, I'd imagine. Is that, or is that, or is that incorrect around Catherine? I wouldn't even say it's a paddock. It's probably, um, <laughs> it's, it's probably, uh, the home paddock, maybe the home paddock, maybe at a pinch, but even then, it's 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 very tiny compared the to the one around the yards. Yeah, the yard. It's the yards. Um, yeah, so it's you know, it's a place where we can feel and immerse ourselves into the experience of what it might be like to live out in one of these larger, amazing cattle stations up here in the north, um, and still have the uh, you know the ability to not be too remotely. Um, isolated. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds, I think um, size is a context when you get to the north, isn't it? I was up um, earlier this year, I was up at um, Warringah Station and um, and we were at the old shearing shed that had burnt down, which was just, must have been stunning in its day. And um, and Lex, the manager there, said, I don't know why they built the shed so close to the boundary. And I go, oh, where's the boundary? And he goes, oh, 20 kilometres that way. <laughs> 
Well, that's it. And that's it. And, 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 and really, I guess that's it. It's when you live up in the Northern Territory or live up, in, you know, in these remote areas, you know, distances between A and B become, you know, insignificant, you know, relative to a trip that a person in a more urban area might take. You know, I live 50 kilometres out of town. I travel into town every day. It's not something I think about. I actually really, it's the best part of the day, you know, the, the driving out home and looking towards the west and into the sunset and it's one of the favourite times of my day to just look at the beautiful landscape that we're lucky enough to be living in amongst. Yeah, it is pretty stunning up there. So tell us all about the regional director role. I know you, you're quite heavily involved in the veg industry, so can you just give the give us all an idea of what does a regional director at NT Farmers involve? Sure. I was I started with um, NT Farmers in 2019, late 2019, um, and I have been based in Catherine since moving up here in um, 2011. Um, our CEO Paul Burke approached me and asked if I would be interested in in coming on board with the with the team and um, really sort of in essence helping to create a greater reach within our association, particularly in that regional focus. So I guess when I first started with NT Farmers, I was overseeing an, a, a couple of different projects in, within biosecurity and in the vegetable industry. Um, but what really happened out of me being based in Catherine was that I needed to be across all of the different um, conversations and concerns and industries that do make up the plant-based industries but also agricultural industries. So I was wearing many, many hats um, and so often it was a case of when I was introducing myself or others were introducing me uh, with, with regard to my role, it became quite evident that I was involved in all of the different projects that NT Farmers was, was overseeing, supporting or, or driving. And so it just made sense um, in a succession plan model that the, the organisation has undergone in the last 18 months to two years to actually look at the role that I do, in essence, play and what that looks like in our organisation. And so hence the evolution of Director of Regions and Projects. Yeah, so because before I think if I scour the internet for you, you've had many titles. <laughs> um, so part of Ausveg. So your relation with veg. So I think this is one of the things that people don't really, I suppose, when I last did my uh, podcast with Paul, the, the size of the hort industry in Northern Australia. So when most people think of Northern Australia, well, certainly I do, and I, can't, I probably can't speak for everyone, but apart from the Ord River, I'm really thinking um, like cattle and, you know, that whole Durack view of the world up there, you know, stations, etc. Of course. So, but the veg industry is quite a big industry um, in the Northern, well, the Northern Australia in particular, but bigger in around Catherine than I thought it would be. So can you explain a bit more about that that plant-based industry in the north? So our vegetable industry is very uh, young in comparison to other jurisdictions in Australia and we are in the lucky position of being able to tap into a market capture that's very much off-season from the rest of Australia. So when, you got, when, when the southern states are in their winter months, 
there's certain vegetables and, and production or varieties that aren't able to be produced down there but can be produced up here. So we sort of fit a nice little niche. So we enable the Australian market to be able to continue supply chains in times of the year when it's a little bit more challenging down in the southern regions. We are young in our capacity and we are still learning and we are still growing and evolving. It is really quite exciting to be involved in an industry that is, whilst in its formation, it's, it's you know, there's a real grounded approach from the southern states, but what we're doing up here relative to that is fairly new and frontier in, it, in its essence. So the vegetable industry has a long way to go and we have lots of growths to make and it is getting stronger and Certainly one of the big proponents of our vegetable industry up here in the Northern Territory is our non-English speaking growers, our Vietnamese growers and our Cambodian growers are significant to that role that, that is played up here in the North. Are you getting people investing? So there's a lot of these um, these families and, and, you know, right across Australia there's been a lot of um, families have immigrated to Australia over the last oh, long, long time, maybe 100 years, but, you know, you know, we've had a whole lot of European families now, a whole lot of people from Vietnam and Cambodia, et cetera. Are those families, they've got a lot of experience in horticulture. Are they really bringing that experience from the south to the north? Is that how it's working or are we getting a whole lot of new um, people starting in the north? Well, we've got two different layers, I think. We've certainly got the, the more traditional family-owned, operated um, properties, but we also have a number of corporate-style operated entities up here as well. Um, what we're probably seeing is a few more of the corporate-style enterprises popping up in the north, and obviously they their methods or their farming enterprises are run similar but probably different to your farm-style models. I mean your family-style models, sorry. So it's it's about finding a balance between the two. And obviously our role within, within NT Farm is just to help support both, you know, the corporate positions as much as the family farm operated owners as well. So it, it's definitely made some great progressions and developments over the last few years in particular. And I think ideally um, through connectivity with, you know, knowledge awareness and knowledge transfer has become a lot more um efficient than what it was even a few years ago. We've also got now some of those market-style growers that we have in the Darwin rural area. Their children are now becoming involved in the farm and so we've got that, we're sort of in that rollover of succession happening. So there's some, there's some exciting changes on the horizon for the industry as a whole, yeah. That's really great. When I was talking to Paul, I think I did my intro to him, I was saying he's like Jon Snow, he's kind of telling everyone to go north. Um, and uh, um, the opportunities up there. Hey, but I want to come back to you. So you're a New South Wales girl, aren't you? And yes. So we, did you grow up in veg or so? How does a girl from um, New South Wales end up in Catherine? So I, I'd love to know. I think we'd all love to know a little bit more about that journey because I know you obviously sound like you've actually put roots down there. Um, so how was the how was the journey from New South Wales to Catherine? Yeah, so I am a blues shirt wearer. Um, not that I would say that I am completely 100% blues because both of our children, our boys were born in Queensland. So I'm a bit of a, I fit on the, I sit on the fence. 
as far as that goes. Um, so well, who do they barrack for then? Well, Queensland, of course. Um, Yeah, so I was born in rural New South Wales um, and grew up most of my life down in the Riverina area. Um, um, My parents are originally from the Albury region and my father's parents own a property outside of Albury in a little place called Howlong. So from the moment I could talk and walk, I would spend a lot of time out on the rural on rural properties um, and I guess I just f- fell in love with agriculture from a very very young age I've been passionate as long as I can remember um, about the land and and its environment around it so I also my mum's mum my grandmother she was um, probably a really big strong force behind why I, I, I chose to take a career in agriculture um she would take me to these beautiful properties outside of albury every holidays that i had every school holidays and i just sort of was allowed to sort of become the you know the station manager of these properties if you like in my own little you know universe at the time and um i just fell in love with agriculture right from the go-get. So I also had an amazing ag teacher at high school in the in Griffith where I was where I spent many years at my high school life at. Um, and she was a massive inspiration to me forging my pathway even further in, in agriculture. Because at the time it was very, very uncommon to have a female teacher who had studied agriculture and was teaching agriculture in an education capacity. So that was what sealed the deal for me, essentially. Yeah, so it was a bit, so you had that role model, you had that female role model, not only just a female role model at school, but an agricultural female role model, which um, that you and your peers are, are, are becoming yourselves now. But you're also, um, you know, that passion you bring is, like you're one of the people who wasn't born to say agriculture, you weren't born into it as such. Um, like growing up on a farm, but you had a passion for it outside. So you went to Charles Sturt, is that right? You went and studied uh, ag science degree, if from memory, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So um, yeah, I wasn't, you know, wasn't born just on a farm. My grandparents had farms, or my grandmother had connection to farmers. So every opportunity I could get, I was always out outside riding horses running around digging up dirt whatever it could be chasing sheep chasing cattle whatever it was um so yeah so then I went off to Charles Sturt Uni at Wagga and at the time um when I was going through there which was only let's just say it was just last week um it was you know I (laughs) was just the other day yeah just the other day I was um one of five females in a class of around 85 Mm. So back when I did the study and and was at uni and involved in a you know in the industry it wasn't really where a lot of women were going. I know now that it's the it's almost the reverse. It's it's the opposite now. Now we see a lot more women studying agricultural um, degrees and agricultural science. Um, but at the time, yeah. So it was really an opportunity for me to grow as a person, obviously. And to really embed embed that this is what I want to do, this is what this is what I'm passionate about, and and I will I will make a career for myself in agriculture. Yeah, so let, let's leap onto that a bit. So, 
you have become a role model in your own right now. So you were only one of eight in your class at Charles Sturt, but now, um, you know, there's been you and, and, and a few others who've gone before you um, who've sort of blazed this path for this uh, this concept of a strong career path for women within agriculture. So now I just want to, um, I know you don't want to blow your own trumpet, but I'll blow it for you. So this year you have really been nominated for two things. One, you are a... Uh, the finalist um, for the Agri Futures Rural Woman of the uh, Award finalist is is that correct? So have I said it right? <laughs> yes, you have. In des- in essence, I so NT the twenty twenty two NT Agri Futures Rural Women's Award finalist. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> it is a big mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> I think they need to make that an acronym because we certainly don't have enough acronyms in agriculture already. Um, <laughs> And now this is for connecting the farm sector to support sustainable diversification for development of opportunity in the north. So, um, again, it's, it's, it's what you were just talking about. So it's, can you explain about so this development of opportunity in the north or this sustainable diversification? So can you just um, uh, talk about that vision of yours um, within within the framework that you operate in? Well, I'm obviously extremely passionate about the north and so I see that we have an opportunity here to demonstrate from all the learnings we've had thus far in agriculture how we could actually really find that, you know, balance between the beautiful natural environments we see up here in the north but also how we can actually tap into some of the unique resources that we have. You know, up here there is, you know, there is land, there is water, and there is the beautiful sunshine that, and, and that comes down from the skies every day. Um, and we have these unique dedicated seasons up here as well. So, however, because we are really, not, I want to use the word untapped essentially in our development, but, but that can come across as a really negative, a negative connotation there. It's more about, I guess, the project that I captured it in the title of Unearthing Resilient Landscapes. So... The idea is that we need to, you know, it's exciting that we can have development opportunities, but we need to be mindful about the sensitivities of the landscape around us. Hmm. And I guess what I was trying to capture is to make sure that we can, we, we think we're considerate of everything that we've got on the table and how can we find a balance between that? You know, a lot of what we've gone from in the past, you know, we I suppose as well, this is a globally, not just within Australia, we haven't always been sensitive to the landscape we develop, have we? No, no, that's right. And that does create some un- concerns, concerns in communities. Um, and they are concerned up here around what that might look in the future should agricultural developments in particular, in my instance, um, take off. Mm-hmm. So what... I'm proposing or what we're propo- what's being proposed through this concept that where I was, was a finalist for was that if we capture data that can tell us a story about the landscape and how that landscape, you know, in its uniqueness ultimately works, then we can actually, agricultural developments can, can use that as much as other um, industries can use it to help create a balance within what we're proposing what we want to do mm-hmm. so for example the lidar work the lidar capture that will is happening in the next month or so which is very exciting is going to look at 
at scale what that landscape form and function has in the territory because we talked about, you know, um, the size of my property relative to the average size of properties in the Northern Territory. So I could stand in the corner of one paddock but I couldn't really tell you without walking through the paddock what's at the other side because of the scale and size of that paddock. We can use technology to help us to map what that might look like and find, you know, almost find the nuances in the landscape that we, you and I may not be able to see if we're standing on the landscape, just standing, having a chat and having a beer, watching the sunset. Yeah, your CEO and Paul mentioned um, to me when, when I interviewed him before that that the, there's a vast majority of the north or especially the Northern Territory that um, is held by the by the Indigenous cultures still and is and it's that, you know, that 60-odd thousand years of understanding of landscape, do they play a role in, in this, this um, I don't know, if you, I don't, we call it a project or this initiative around, you know, the sense of development of the landscape because they do have that institute, well, in, I don't know if institutional knowledge but a generational knowledge of that landscape? Absolutely, and it's also an opportunity for them to be able to identify those areas as well. So we can actually all, I guess it will allow us all to work together more effectively and more efficiently. Um, so I know myself, out the front of my property here, I've got a, I've, there's a sacred site on the Ferguson River Corridor. Um, and, you know, it, it's good to know where these different um, sensitive sites are. And I think it, by having having this particular data that I'm looking, we're looking to capture, it will enable us to be able to see where we need to be considerate of some of the other sensitivities that we have up here in the Northern Territory. It's, it's almost this ability because, like you said, the, the North is, you know, there's so much opportunity left in the North. You, you feel like the South is, although we're young in the context of global agriculture, we're old in the context of Australian agriculture down, down in the southern parts of Australia. But the North is almost young in a way, although it's ancient in, in cattle, it's quite young in, in I suppose, um, uh, veg, or not vegetable, just um, plant-based agriculture. So you have an opportunity to learn from the mistakes of the South almost. It's, it's, um, it's a unique opportunity, isn't it? Correct. That's it. And that's the idea. It's to, um, to make sure that if we do choose to open up um, other areas of land that are suitable, that are, that are identified as being suitable for agricultural production, it's to make sure that if we do open up that parts of land, that we're aware of some of the sensitivities that are, are within that area and this high-resolution data can actually identify that for us because there are some areas of the Northern Territory or there's many, many areas of the Northern Territory where they are not necessarily easily accessed at this point. Mm -hmm. And so we need to just be conscious around how we approach our developments. I'm very, you know, I've got a beautiful river corridor. I do not want to see my river corridor or my property degraded in any way, shape or form. So it's about let's use, let's be smart about it, use the technology that's out there that can actually enable us to appreciate and identify the areas that we should be really um, avoiding or even looking at them from a land care perspective 
how can we actually make sure that they stay that pristine environment that they are and balance it with what we're what agriculture is probably looking to try and develop up here. I really want to go. You've, you've actually convinced me to go, and I think the next trip has to be to Catherine. I think Michael and um, Louise came back wanting to stay up there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I always um, make a point of saying that Catherine is the epicentre of the north. I think I've even told some fairly significant significant dignitaries every time they've cruised through town. I said, if you really want to understand what the north is all about, then you need to spend, you know, a good week or two in Catherine so that I can take you around and give you a little bit of perspective on what it's all about. So what are, what are your things, friends in Darwin think about that? Well, they all acknowledge that Simone thinks that Catherine is the epicentre. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, look, we all in essence love where we live. Catherine for, for myself is is home and and I'm very passionate about seeing it be the amazing place and recognition for the amazing place that it is. That's great. Now, apart now, as a result, I don't know if it's as a result who or what leads to another, you know, part of this Rural Women's Award Finals, but you've also been selected for the National Farm Federation. So you're one of only 12 women in Australia who've been selected for the 2022 diversity and agricultural program. Now, I'm really interested in this because um, you were just talking before about um, the amount of um, women that are now choosing to study and choose a career in in agriculture and agribusiness generally. So can you tell us all about this program um, and, and what it involves and how did you get – I mean, I know there was hundreds of applicants and you're one of 12 chosen. So tell me about this diversity and agricultural program and the aims of it. I know I was, I, I'm extremely humbled by the opportunity and I do know that I'm only one of two women in the Northern Territory to have completed this particular program that has been running now for five years. It's an, an amazing initiative. What really, it's about bringing together like-minded women who are extremely passionate about the industry and are also just to bring together, bring them together so that they understand and appreciate that they've gotten to where they've gotten because they've done the hard yards, to acknowledge that. And then you mentioned um, when we first started this podcast, you know, it's all about you at the minute. So, and that's basically what this program is identifying. It's like it's giving women an opportunity to make it all about themselves and to be in a safe environment where you can feel comfortable about almost that selfish nature of being it's about you and what you've achieved and what you can still achieve in the future. So we've been through a series of different um, workshops and online sessions and face-to-face sessions. We uh, aligned with a mentor, so we'll match up with a mentor from the beginning of the program. Um, My amazing mentor lives down in Yass or near Yass in New South Wales, just outside of Canberra, um, and she has the most amazing career, almost to the point I know after the couple of days that I was in Canberra earlier in the year for our first um, face-to-face session, I felt like a little bit, you know, of an imposter in the room and, and I was a bit sort of blown away by the sheer um, calibre of the, of the women that were were in, not only in the program with me but the mentors that we were assigned with. And I guess it's about identifying for us, for myself, 
some goals that I'd like to see myself and how I actually see myself as a leader. What are some of my strong attributes as a leader and what are some of the attributes that I feel that I still need to work on? And I guess it just gives gives you a voice. It's given me a voice. It's it's improved my confidence and I know that I have amazing tribe around me who support what I do and are really sort of encouraging me to continuing this pathway forward towards a leadership role in Northern Australia. So the voice of women in agriculture has been getting louder and louder for really the past decade. And I think off air, I was talking to you whenever I get asked to speak at a usually an agri- a business-related forum within agriculture. It tends to be um, organised by usually a women's business group within ag. So what do you think this 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 increasingly um, confident voice for women in agriculture is, is bringing to ag that was maybe missing or needed a little bit more attention or some light shined on it? Do you, what is the perspective that this... It's obviously for a benefit, but can did you talk amongst each other the the, the difference that you are bringing by the bring, by encouraging and trying to turbocharge this diversity? Yeah, I guess it's about understanding and appreciating and acknowledging that um, women do have value to add to to any industry, and often. Mm-hmm. Even now, I mean, Fiona Simpson herself, she's amazing. I sort of hold her in very high regard and I've always admired her even prior to being accepted into the program. Um, Just phenomenal for what she has done to project the voice of females or women into the industry. Um, But it's still, we've still got a long way to go in that, Whilst there, if you looked at the data or the statistics behind who's involved in agricultural industries now, and it's you know it's starting to see that we're seeing more and more women in, involved in the industry at those higher end level roles, leadership type roles. It's there's still quite a significant gap between women at the table versus men at the table. And is this is this reflected on the ground as well? Do you think is so? If I walk into the um, a family farm, a family or, or an agri business, do you see that? Do you think it's trickling up to the top, or do you think it's is it? Are we seeing changes at those uh, formation parts of those careers? Yeah. So I think down, like if we go the grassroots end, we've now got scenarios, particularly even in the Northern Territory, where we have. Like I said, almost that, if you want to say, you know, a role reversal or the balance is actually now more so we're seeing more women um, taking on some of the roles that perhaps had that manly label to them. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're sort of just trying to find a balance, I think, about, you know, what we can achieve relative to what we actually want to achieve. So we know women, we know we can do, you know, we know we can get dirty, we know we can dig holes, we know we can fix fences, we know we can yard cattle, we know we can do all of these things. And I think it's, you know, we need to appreciate the value that we can have regardless of whether it's seen as a leadership role or not. I think, you know, we we certainly can be seen as a, as the superglue of, of of juggling many roles and and enabling us to have that voice has helped us to actually gain further confidence to be able to go out there and to sit in a room that predominantly has seen more male counterparts than female counterparts and not be, you know, sort of 
impacted by that or feeling, you know, not feel intimidated. That's the word, not feel intimidated. Not being intimidated. It's not intimidation. It's not that strong. But it's mm. like you, the fact that you do have a voice and you can use it and it's not yeah. a lesser voice. Is that? That's right. Absolutely. And we have a lot of, we, you know, we bring a different perspective. Yeah. Can we explain that? Can we just drill down on that? Because I, I, I actually 100% agree with you. You you do bring a, a different perspective to ag because ag can be really blokey. And I'm saying that from a bloke's point of view. Um, what is the perspective that that you know having a stronger uh, female presence and voice um, and ownership in agriculture brings to ag that you know may have been missing? Or I think we just enable a different perspective on 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 solutions, and you know everyone has a unique way of problem solving, and I think it just allows for that um, capacity to be able to demonstrate that one person making a decision of one particular mindset, perhaps you need to bring in some different different flares there to actually really nut out and flesh out how that solution to that issue or that, or that um, challenge might be best addressed. I think as a woman it's really, um, you know, we can kind of go delve a lot deeper into the nuances of the of the issue or the concern or the conversation or the or the change maker. So I think it just helps us to balance it out really at the end of the day. And I'm not saying that all women should necessarily aspire to be a leader because you can be as valuable in a role that is not, you know, front and centre like mine essentially is. You still have a massive powerful role to play no matter what you choose to do in any rural community in particular? I think just standing up, I think I was doing a workshop earlier on this year and I I met one of our clients and I was talking to her and I made the false assumption that about her and a partner that, and this is, see, a paradigm, so what am I, I'm 52, and I'd I'd brought this assumption in that she had married into the farm, Mm -hmm. but in fact her husband had. And so she had taken over the family business and she owned the farm, ran the farm, was the farmer and had married a urban boy who'd married into the farming business. And and I just go, wow, that, you know, first of all, I made that assumption, but at the same time, that's so great. She And I was saying she is a leader in that room just because she goes, why should guys take over the farm? Why can't, you know, I'm just as good. So it was a, it was a great, it was a big lesson for me, I suppose. Yeah, and it's not, and, and you know, it's no fault to yours because that's just this, um, cultural mindset that we've had ingrained in our society for a very, very long time. Um, you know, I think it takes all types to, well, there's a, there's a saying and I can't think of it right now, but there's, it takes all types to build a village, all types of people to build a village. And I guess if we take on that, that, that persona or that mindset of that, then we're going to, we need to have that equitability in in all different everyone brings something unique to the table everyone and anyone so I'm very much about making sure that um, in my role with NT farmers in particular that what happens with decision making up at the top end of town if you like that the grassroots you know and the conduit between those two and that the grassroots certainly have a voice and sometimes for a lot of the time the voice is coming through myself so I'm I I take it's very responsible role to have to be responsible for making sure that their voices are heard 
because they may not necessarily want to be the one at the front of the front of the line or the front of the queue, but they do have very valuable voices to be heard. So what is your message then? So there's there is hundreds or thousands of women in agriculture at, at various roles, um, both aspiring just to um, either just pursue a career or pursue a career in leadership or pursue a uh, a profession in farming. What is your advice to them about, um, you know, because you've sort of blazed a path and a lot within many of your peers. So what, what is your advice to these younger women who are who are just starting their agricultural journey or might be like you? They might be um, thinking about choosing agriculture as a career. My advice is to make sure that it's, it's something that you really want to do. Um, I, I don't believe there's ever been a day I've woken up and not been excited to get out and about and to do what I do. And it's because, in essence, it's, it's my core value is, is making sure that, you know, it's, it's something I'm very, I love. And so, therefore, it's not, a, it's not, it's not work. It's not a job. Um, I do it because I'm just driven to do what I do. Um, for young, young women who are thinking or considering or just started in the industry, you're doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job no matter what you do and it is, you know, it's something that, you know, it's a really honourable endeavour that's benefiting all the communities that you are surrounding in and I just say if you're passionate about it, you've got to do it. Brilliant. Is, is there any things that these that – um, and you would have talked about this when you're doing your um, your program. Any self limiting thoughts that you know they need to sort of okay, you know, okay, you know, don't have to think that there's that that may that may that may hold them back. Is there any things like oh, I can't do that or I shouldn't do that? Is there any of those self limiting thoughts that they need to go? Well, they need someone like you to go. No, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I do have that, you know, myself still. And I think women are very much driven, that drives them even more. I know it drives me even more in that if I'm challenged by something, I really take that on and I I work on how I can get through that challenge to the other end. Um, And you might get thrown things along the way, but it just actually, you know, really sort of makes you dig your heels in even more. So... Make sure that, um, you know, look, imposter syndrome is a big one for women, you know, because we do often feel like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, how do we, how did I actually find myself here? How did I find myself in a room with 12 other amazing women from around Australia and all these other amazing women in positions that are so influential and so um, integral to the, to, to what we are in Australia, um, and then I had to step back and reflect on that and think, well, it's I'm being recognised for my hard achievements or my hard work, essentially, and that's okay. Also, make sure that you give yourself some time out. You know, we all have to that work-life balance. You have to make sure you can maintain that. And I will say that I'm still learning how to do that because sometimes my passion for the industry takes over everything else, which is probably why my bespoke property of many mixed enterprises hasn't really happened yet and I'm just running a few cattle around because I have, at the minute, I'm, I'm for everyone else in that regard and I love that, And um, but have I got enough time in my life at the minute to be having, you know, 
a fully operational farm enterprise here on my 1200 acres no so it, it all comes with you know a balance you have to learn how to balance it that's a great segue because I always finish the podcast on this because I'm really fascinated because whenever we talk to people on ag they're just like you they're just all in right there's just seems to be this you're you it's it's all in or all out um and but everyone has lives they either have or want to have outside of their passion for agriculture or like you trying to change the world um <laughs> So what do you do when you're not trying to um, revolutionise the world of agriculture in the Northern Territory? I love to ride horses. So I have two um, amazing horses. So I occasionally try and pretend I know how to camp draft. Essentially what that means is I actually just really love being around animals and livestock. So the idea of having a weekend where I don't make any other excuses but sit on my ponies and be working around cattle and socialising with other people that have similar interests and um, is really quite exciting and, and I love it. I don't do it as much as what I should do it, but I do prioritise it when I can. Um, and obviously too, being on our property out here is really um, for myself and, and my family very much our little, part, our little patch of the universe um, and we kind of after the busy weeks that I have, I tend to just come home and just close the gate and disappear until Monday. <laughs> do you ever get to, I, I've got a picture of those rivers of yours, do you ever get to sit down on those rivers with a fire and a beer and um, just watch the water run past? Absolutely. Not as much as I should though, David, not as much as I should. Um, but we do, yes. Yeah. So we've got, you know, it, I've got two boys, and it's hard to establish strong traditions when you, you know, two boys and a, and a husband. Um, you know, so one of the traditions we do have is Mother's Day. We go down to the corner of Edith Ferguson. I'm probably giving everything away now. Probably end up with lots of people down there next year. Um, but <laughs> we go down and we have our little um, Mother's Day brunch down there at, at the river and it's just it's so beautiful so yeah we're very very lucky that we have that there that sounds a bit flasher than um, my partner who i bring her breakfast in bed so um that sounds very i think she want to be up uh, up and sit on your uh, river bend i think although she might be a bit nervous about crocodiles so we do have to have spot going on as well but, um, <laughs> you just don't get eaten by a croc on mother's day <laughs> croc wise <laughs> Well, on that note, with not being eaten by a crocodile, um, Simone, thank you very much for joining us. I hope that yours is an inspirational story and um, and you do deserve to be where you are. And I hope your story um, really emboldens and inspires a lot of both um, women in agriculture of any age, but uh, but especially the young ones entering. And because we, we noticed how many um, young women are now enrolling into ag courses and ag universities and um and are really starting to really make an impact. So thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me and I uh, appreciate the time and the opportunity to endeavour to tell a little bit of my story and I'm excited by what the future holds for agriculture in Northern Australia. Yeah, you made me want to make my next holiday in Catherine now. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. My aim with this podcast is to make it the most useful podcast you listen to and to help every farm business thrive. 
So if you like this episode, please take the time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend today. Plus, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. So together, we can make all farm businesses strong farm businesses. Thank you.